Are you an athlete who would like to maximize your performance to succeed at the top level? Head on over to my website at jacobandre.com and book a free 15-minute discovery call to discover if and how I can help you. G'day and welcome to the Mind Your Body Show, episode number 70. Today, I'm talking to Ryan Ayers. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for having me. So the first place I like to start with every guest is what did we interrupt in your day today on this fine Sunday today for us? Sundays are always a, a fun day for me. Um, kids soccer, I guess. So it's a bit of the soccer of the boys. And if not, it's um, just generic housework that I normally get up to with the family. Yeah, I, I know this. I know all this, but how many kids and what soccer club? So, yeah, so I've um, got the two boys, um, uh, 10 and 7, um, soon to be 8 and 11, I guess. I'm not far off. So that Aziri soccer club at the moment. So the eldest boy plays on a Friday night and the youngest one's on a Sunday morning. So... I do like it when they're both playing on a Friday night, so it gives you the weekend for yourself. But yeah, no, it's um, a little bit challenging, but just uh, time consuming, I guess, as most families would expect. That's one of the things I dislike about soccer is that they always play on a Sunday morning. I don't know why. Well, early on, I didn't really like it, but it gets you up and about early. So it gives you the whole day rather than just uh, sitting around home not doing very much, I guess. So yeah, I'm actually used to it. And the boys go all right, so it's actually pretty exciting to watch them play as well. Yeah, that's good. So you're um, a reigning premiership coach in the NTFL with Waratah Football Club, a pretty handy footballer yourself, and we'll talk about that. Um, but I know you love your soccer. Who's your team? <laughs> I actually do. Um, oh, long story short, I guess, um, growing up, I went to Adelaide for a footy carnival and Adelaide United back then was black and white. And from then on, it sort of, I picked a team that was black and white and I think we used to have to watch SBS to get updates. So it was both Juventus and Newcastle United and the EPL. So I think watching the SBS, it was in foreign language and couldn't understand a thing. So it's looking <laughs> at black and white teams and looking for results and scores and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, Newcastle and Juventus, Newcastle have always struggled and Juventus have always been pretty competitive. Yeah. So you go back and talk about your childhood. Let's go right back to there and, and start. So you grew up in Darwin. Tell me about um, early life for Ryan Ayers. You're one of four children. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, correct. So, brother and two sisters. Um, family is still in the family house that we always grew up in in Karama. Um, just got some lifelong friends from there as well. So, Sanderson Primary School and Sanderson High School. So, just the two schools for me, um, which is pretty lucky. Um, hey, wait, was it called Sanderson back then, not Mananda? Yeah, no, it was Sanderson Primary before it went to Mananda. So, oh, yeah, I think maybe the last year we might have been there for the change of names, or it might have been a year after. I can't quite remember, but. Yeah, it was Sanderson Primary School back in the day when we were um, attending it. Um, so then some lifelong friends, uh, some kids that, you know, from preschool all the way through that you've gone through school and with that we're still catching up with at the moment. Yeah, funny, eh? Um, like, obviously, we know each other from high school, from Sanderson High School. And uh, one of my childhood lifelong friends is now your brother-in-law, Robert Kennedy. And yes, that is correct. <laughs> he lived up the road from my aunt and uncle, and so I used to walk home from school with him to, to you know from Karama Primary, which is just around the corner. What was it like growing up in Karama? <laughs> well, I actually liked it, and I know it probably hasn't got the best reputation. And I think you, for yourself, can understand as well that we grew up in Karama. I think it might just to be the error as well that, but um, you'd be able to ride your bike to your mate's house, walk to your mate's house, spend a lot of time, and. You know, we pretty much knew everyone within that suburb and it was really good growing up. Um, I guess you guys went to Karama Primary School and we were at Sanderson Primary School, so same area but different. Um, and then obviously all ended up at the same high school together. So 
No, it's um, definitely grow up in Karama. Like, like I said, we've still got lifelong friends. Um, I think we're pretty lucky to be able to say that as well from primary school all the way through. I don't think there's that many people that, you know, you have your childhood friends that you're still catching up with when you're, dare I say it, 40 years of age, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny. People are like, you know, when people find out that you're like local born and bred Darwinite, they go, oh, I don't know anyone. And I'm like, man, I know everyone. <laughs> pretty much. And then it's surprising when you hear someone else who's born and bred in Darwin and you actually haven't crossed paths previously. It's um, <laughs> done something together or know the family of or... Yeah, it's a small place, but definitely like being involved with footy now, it's more of a matter of where you're from, like what's your background, what interstate have you come from? Um, and if you say, you know, born in Darwin, well, then you're one of very few. <laughs> you know, I actually remember Karama shops when it was just an empty block of land and we would like, with mum and dad, ride our bike down to buy the newspaper on a Saturday and then be this one kid with his bike that was selling these Saturday newspapers just on this big, massive dirt patch of land 100 percent. there was that and then <laughs> the the petrol station went in and it was to quickly call in and get snacks and whatever <laughs> else but yeah you were at a young age being able to do that i think i remember at one stage too they um the shopping center implemented the trolleys and all the kids were walking around trying to collect the cash out of the trolleys or the coins <laughs> yeah. to make some money and <laughs> go and buy themselves a snack at the shopping center yeah yeah um <laughs> so so growing up Tell me about sport. What sports did you play as a kid growing up in primary school at Sanderson uh, Primary School there? Yeah, so early on, because um, dad's married, so he heavily involved in rugby union. Um, so early on it was soccer, rugby union, rugby league, um, and then obviously footy, or AFL itself, having a massive following up here once you're in school and all that. It's um, all your mates were playing footy. So, yeah, it was soccer and rugby predominantly and then got to love footy, I think, oh, from about nine or ten years of age, but prior to that, yeah, it was always other sports. You know, I actually remember a time we, I don't know if you remember this, we played a game, um, it was in Sanderson Zone, which is now called Northern Suburbs Cluster, and uh, we're playing this competition and you, uh, we're in the back line, <clears throat> we're in the same team, the Sanderson team, and you got the ball, you hand-passed it to someone, he hand-passed it back. I think you absolutely demanded that he hand-pass it back. Then you hand-passed it to someone else, you ran like five metres, hand-passed it to someone else, demanded it back. I think Richard Baldock was in this chain of sequence as well. I was about the third or fourth in this line and I was, I remember thinking, shit, like he's just asked these other couple of guys to hand, make sure that I hand-pass the ball back. So I was like, I better got, I got to give it back. You ran the whole length of the field, just hand-passing, get it back, hand-pass, get it back. There was no kicks kicked a goal on that beautiful left foot. It was one of the most memorable plays I've ever seen. No, it wouldn't have been me. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the beginning of you. Tell me about, like, your footy career. So, obviously, so, you know, you went from um, Sanderson zone through yeah. to – tell me about your football career. Like, um, I think you initially played for Buffs. Like, who did you debut yeah. A grade with? And then you went on to um, being on the Melbourne Demons list. Tell me all about your footy career. So I was lucky enough early on to represent NT Primary School for three years, so year five, six, seven it was back in the time. Um, and then from then, I think it was under 15s, under 16s and under 18s with Thunder. But the two years of under 18s with Thunder, I was injured for both years, so I never actually got to play a national carnival. The last national carnival I got was when I was in under 16s. Um, you're correct. Started off at Buffs, Samson Primary School, all the boys were at Buffs, so... Joined them, um, loved every minute of it there. Made my senior debut, I think, when I was 15. 
Um, so I only played one year of under 16s in club level. And then from then on, it was senior footy pretty much. So actually represented the Northern Territory men's team when I was 16 years of age as well. So like that's I said, crazy. The, how are you so, how, yeah. I don't know. Is there anyone else that's done that? Well, that year, um, Russell Jeffrey was actually coaching and love Russell and respect exactly what he's done around the NTFL as well. Um, but he gave a few of the kids a go. So I reckon in that same year, we played against Nord and Froggy, Froggy David and Xavier Clark both played that year as well. So there were three of us young kids. Um, back then, rotations weren't as high, so a bit of time on the bench, definitely. Um, but got on the field, um, did what we had to do, I think. We lost. We were about four goals up three-quarter time and ended up losing that game. Um, but, yeah, no, it was just the experience that we had. And, yeah, it was junior kids coming through. Like, back then, they were always looked after. Um, and there's a lot of talent that was coming through in the same age group as well, I guess. So, yeah, so Buffs up until, uh, what was it? I was 18, I think, when I got drafted, 17, 18. Um, and which was surprising because I didn't play in under-18s nationals. So it was sort of... Like I'd sort of blown my chances, I guess. Um, but Melbourne, they took a risk on me, I guess, after watching me play senior footy up here. Um, there wasn't, I know at the moment, a lot of kids are moving down south to boarding schools and trying to get a bit more exposure. But back then, that wasn't sort of the case. So drafted out of this, had a year at Melbourne, um, loved every minute of it, injured the majority of the time as well. And then I ended up spending two years at West Adelaide. So straight from Melbourne, come up here, had half a season up here and then went down to the sample um, and spent two years at West Adelaide. Had quite a few injuries throughout from the age of 15, I think. Um, and then oh, it was about 21, I think, when I got back up into Darwin after the two years at Westies and um, was pretty much told that if I don't stop playing footy at that age, I wouldn't be able to walk by the time I was 35. Um, really? So I've played a handful of games here and there since because you know, you're a 21-year-old, meant to be coming into your prime of your sport. But, yeah, no, I was, couldn't really um, excel any further. There's quite a few injuries that were just holding me back, I guess. So here I am now. So what were those injuries? Um, what was it? So <laughs> I remember one of them we were going, it was a few weeks before um, the under-18s Nationals. So it was my first one. And a mate of mine, Benny Armat, is like, oh, I'm playing touch tonight. Come and play a game of touch. And mum and dad are like, don't, you don't want to get injured. I'm like, it's touch. You can't get injured in touch. And for some reason, my knees hit an opponent's knee and I ended up with a arthroscopy happening um, from a game of touch that, yeah, everyone regretted since. But <laughs> I think I came back from that and still a week to go or two weeks to go before the Nationals and they were just trying to get game time into me. So I was meant to have played a quarter of footy against, I think it was... Um, Colder Cannons or one of the Tap Cup sides. They said, oh, just play a quarter, get some game time, and, you know, that'll be fine for the Nationals. Played the quarter, was going absolutely unreal. They're like, oh, do you want to keep playing? I said, yeah, for sure. Went back out within the first five minutes of the second quarter. I had a elbow to the back and um, fractured the bone in the transverse process in the lower back. Um, and that ruled me out of that Nationals. And then the following year, I think, from then on, it was more your hamstrings and you your groins and whatever else, just a generic muscle tears. So, yeah. Yeah, fun times. <laughs> well, what do you think led to all that? Do you, do you put it down to anything or is it just bad luck? Um, well, at the moment, I'm actually still going through surgery. Um, just the legs are bowed. They were naturally bowed. 
back then you probably wouldn't have picked up on it. I don't know. I didn't think anything of it. But, you know, some of the injuries you have, you look at and you go, are you doing enough stuff around the rest of your body? You know, yeah. are your muscles protecting you? All that sort of stuff. Um, which, as a 15-year-old to 20, still immature, not going to pay any attention to any of that sort of stuff. Just put me out on the field if you can and I'll play. Um, and then when I went to Melbourne, I was... Um, <laughs> Believe it or not, I was sleeping on the floor for quite a few months while I was at Melbourne, um, just on a mattress on the floor, just because Matty Wheeler was there and I was trying to stay in his house with a few of the other lads. Um, that way I was a bit more comfortable, my surroundings, first time out of home. Um, and then when you look back on it and you go, well, is that impacting on your lower back? Is that the reason why you're getting hamstring injuries and all that? And Definitely a contribution to it. And at the same time, I was probably just unfit and not ready to do the work that was required to be uh you know, a senior player, I guess. Yeah. So you debuted early for Buffs. What was it like playing at Buffs? Unreal. Um, I know they've got a reputation of a couple of lads back in the days with white line fever. Wouldn't want to play with anyone else. You knew that when you're running out there, you're going to get protected. Um, I think it was Michael Athanasia at the time had come across from St Mary's, so well respected in the NTFL. Um, and he looked after us kids as well. So you knew you had him running around with you. Um, and at the same time, we were kids. You know, you see a ball get ball, go and play footy type thing. Um, I think my first game was against Southern Districts at the time. And they had yeah, Jason Coppertoos and Bruce Jarmans and Gabby Weechers who were you know, renowned for being very good footballers. Um, so that was a bit daunting. But at the same time, we sort of, your kids, you don't think anything of it. It's just like, go and play a game of footy. Um, so yeah, and then from then on it was, I think I played week in, week out that whole season pretty much, so yeah. Yeah. And so then, so you, you left and that was because, is that correct, you got drafted from Buffs? Yeah, so I left Buffs, went to Melbourne, um, year at Melbourne, predominantly playing Sandringham there. Um, so the season there, things didn't go too well, like... Um, Again, a few injuries, a hamstring and a groin there. Um, I think from memory, I was about to go back into the senior Sandringham side and they said, oh, if you kick six goals, actually they said four goals. If you kick four goals, we'll put you back up. And I'd kicked six or seven um, to three-quarter time and then did my groin and missed another three or four weeks again. So it was just, yeah, it all contributed to, you know, an unreal time, but also not a time with injuries and all that sort of stuff. It just wasn't right for me at the time. So he was coaching the Demons at the time when you were there. And what was, it was actually what was Neil Danaher. Oh, really? Yeah, Neil Danaher was a coach. Um, and then Chris Fagan was one of the assistant coaches. Um, it was Brian Royal, Choco, Choco Williams. No, not Choco. Um, no, Brian Royal. There's someone else that was there as well that I can't remember who looked predominantly after Sandringham. So it was a good good group there for sure. Um, and obviously Fags has gone on to where he is now as well. Went across to Hawthorne, I think, after Melbourne, and then he's now obviously doing very well with the Lions in the AFL. What was it like to be coached by Neil Denneher? Um, Funny lad. You'd go into your meetings where we're all tired and falling asleep and he's at the front of the room telling jokes. <laughs> and I know he's given a few of the lads a, a decent spray or two in his time as well, so he'd observe some of them. But no, very switched on in this time. Um, 
But yeah, I think a lot of those jokes, he would be laughing at his jokes before anyone else started laughing, which tend to make it a bit more funny as well. So, <laughs> but again, real caring, absolutely legend of a man, very caring person. Um, but yeah, I, unfortunately, I only had the 12 months there with him. Mm. Well, so what would you say is some of your best memories of being in Melbourne at the Demons? Um, I guess the personnel when you look back around that you had. So I think Shane Woden had just won a Brownlow a year or two before. Um, it was a year that David Schwartz retired. So getting to know Schwartz, um, again, ripping person. Nina, uh, David Neitz was captain at the time. Um, and then obviously Wheels, Paul Wheatley, um, who else was there? Doggy Brown, Nazu, Lee and Shelley. There's a real good group. I think that year, prelim, may have lost the prelim. Um, so it was really competitive. We're talking about this would have been around 2001, correct? 2002, I think it was the year I was there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 2001 draft, but 2002. And obviously Melbourne were very good at that time. Yeah, and while we while we talk about that draft, I might as well throw it out there too. It's the 2001 Super Draft, and I'll hold on to that. I was really good <laughs> at the draft. It's the only thing I've got going for me at the moment. <laughs> who, who else was drafted out of 2001 off the top of your head? Oh, I reckon that was the uh, um, Ablett and all of them were all drafted. And it was Hodge, Xavier Clark, um, Luke Ball, Bartell. Yeah, it's, the list actually goes very long. And then if you look at the rookie list as well, the rookie draft. Like Mark Jamer ended up playing 150 AFL games. He was part of that draft. And there's a few others. I think Quinton Lynch maybe. And yeah, it's a, a very deep draft. There's and been some things, but I'll always hold on to the 2001. <laughs> yeah. And you've got a good relationship with Mark Jamer. You brought I do, him up yes. to Darwin. Yeah, I did actually. Um, and he's loved every minute of it. He's made some lifelong friends from that experience as well. So he's still involved at Essendon at the moment. Um, as a rough coach there. So. Are you an Aussie rules footballer who would like to maximise your performance to succeed at the top level? My Australian rules football dynamic group coaching program is a 12-phase program that has been curated from my 15-plus years working as a strength and conditioning coach with local footballers right through to AFLW players at Adelaide and Richmond. To get instant access to my Australian rules football dynamic group coaching program, simply head on over to jacobandre.com forward slash Australian dash rules dash football. I want to get onto that coaching of yours. Before I do it, let's just move into West Adelaide. So what was it like to make that move from um, that VFL football into the SANFL football? Um, it was actually a bit easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, another really good mate of mine, um, Shannon Rusker, we were at West Adelaide together. So ended up living together for the two years that we were over there. And then there were a few other lads who had moved from Darwin to Adelaide already um, that we were mates with. They were all in Adelaide. So obviously being a bit smaller than Melbourne itself, the, um, the lifestyle suited me a lot more. Um, probably a, a bit too much in terms of off-season. Um, it was a lot of fun, I guess. But the footy itself, pretty similar. Back then, I would have assumed the SANFL was stronger than the VFL. Um, this is before the AFL clubs were aligned, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I think at a time, two central districts were really dominant. They went through an era where they were just about unbeatable. So. Yeah, so then, so from Adelaide, you come back to Darwin, correct? Yeah, yeah, and had half a season, I reckon, to a year um, playing at Buffs again. 
And just by then, the knees were giving me quite a bit of grief. Um, that's when I went through the stage where it's, you've probably got to hang the boots up. Um, for me, definitely upsetting. Um, and for me to stay involved, it was to become an assistant coach. I had to stay involved somehow. And at that time, Bill Martin was coaching at Waratahs and I was mates with Bill's kids. So I was like, well, yeah, I might head across there and um, sit in the coach's box with Bill and learn from the best. And I thought, well, as a 21, 22-year-old, you seem to think you know the game, which is one thing. Going and being an assistant coach to Bill just shattered your confidence because he's the best speaker I've ever heard. And it's like, well, how are you ever meant to talk to a playing group the way that Bill does? Um, and to this day, I can still remember some of the some of the conversations he had with some of the boys. It's like, wow, where did you just pull that from? So, <laughs> what what do you mean? Because I know that communication is a huge part of coaching. So, what what do you mean specifically when you don't need to tell me exactly what he was saying? But <laughs> what do you mean specifically about his communication style? I'm I'm more technical, getting players to buy into um, how to execute a game. I guess where he's more motivational getting people up and about and you're at a training session and you're not allowed to lose a contest. You don't stop running until a goal's being kicked. Like it's just more things like that that he'll leave in players' minds that hang on a minute, ball's still in play here, what am I doing? And you sprint from one end of the field to the other just because a goal hadn't been kicked. Um, just small things like that. And I know some of the speeches that I, I can't go into, but um, just motivated blokes. Um, you'd see that grow another leg and just play for him, I guess. Um, where me, on the other hand, it's sort of why weren't you in this position? You know, we've spoken about it. We'll do training runs where this is our starting points, these are our structures. And if you're not there, why not? And if your teammate hasn't told you why you're not there, well, then why not? Like it, I try to encourage 22 players, if not more. Um, there's definitely more. I try and get the whole senior group, I guess, being able to coach each other on the footy field. Um, and that's so what was it? our structures. Yeah. So what was it like as a young guy, only 21, as an assistant coach, um, coaching guys that are probably older than you? Yeah, 100% they're older than me. And it was daunting. I guess I was pretty quiet back in the day. Um, and I reckon the roles are a bit different for your assistant coaches back then. Like everything I would say would go through Bill and the other assistants, where these days your assistant coaches are pretty much coaches. They're on the field talking to the players and they have um, input over your game plans and your structures and your positions and all that sort of stuff. So it was definitely a different role back then. Um, but, yeah, I, I was always an introvert growing up as well. It wasn't like I'd put myself out there in front of a group and, hey, listen to me type thing. I've had to grow that ability to be able to do it. Um, so as a 21, 22-year-old back then, I was pretty quiet with the playing group for sure. Yeah, and so what's your coaching like now as the head coach where you have to be talking a lot more? And what is your interaction like with your assistants? Are you one that wants you know, your hand in every pie sort of thing or are you like assistance off you go and then you just sort of manage, facilitate it? You'd probably ask the assistants that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm happy for the assistants to go and run a fair bit of it, to be honest. Um, we got Eddie, Mor Eddie Morris across last year with the midfield group and he's, um, I think he's Casey Demons, Casey Scorpions, team of the decade representative type thing. So he's got plenty of experience and, I played a little bit in the midfield, but my experience isn't the midfield group. So it's Eddie, 
like what did we do to win clearances and all that sort of stuff were at our starting points um so he was highly influential come to the final series last year where up here when you're recruiting you do get a lot of players who have come from competitions down south where they were the best player in the competition or in their team and it was all about them so to be able to manage that and go well we've got some very good players in your team it's not all about you as an individual it's what you can do to get a result for the team i guess and eddie was highly influential with that midfield group and being able to do that um you know jeremy watts is another one who helped me out last year as well and not the background as Eddie, but he's a people's person. He manages people really well and is able to build relationships with people. So complement each other really well in terms of his game sense, his people sense, how can we manage people, how can we get them to do the right thing. So it actually fell into place really well for us last year. Um, in terms of myself being the introvert, I think I was eight or nine years as an assistant coach at Waratahs before I went across to districts. Um, as an assistant coach there, and that was all because Shannon was coaching. I went over there to help them out for a bit. Um, and then my last year at Districts, we won the premiership there. So for me, to get a premiership medallion, I had to be a head coach. And that was the reason why I put my hand up to take on the head coaching role. I'd never played in the premiership, but played in the losing grand final. Um, heavily involved in Districts premiership when we won it but I don't get a premiership medallion. And it's like, well, if I'm ever going to get one, well, I've got to put my hand up, which thankfully I did. And yeah, last year was rewarding, I guess. Yeah, I want to get to that. But before we do, tell me a little bit more about that assistant coaching transition from Waratahs into districts. What were the similarities and what were the differences? Um, I guess early on my assistant coach at Waratahs Brenton Toy was the last head coach there, and he was very technical as well. He's inspiring as a person in terms of his speeches, um, but also looked after the kids because I think he'd coached Thunder under-18s going into coaching Waratahs, so he was a big focus on the kids coming through and developing the juniors. Um, good people at the club, 100% that were. Been doing it for eight or nine years, and I just wanted a year off. Um, after that. So I had a year off helping out at all. And then Shannon's reached out to me the following season. He's like, if you're not doing anything, feel free to come down and help out. And it took me a month to six weeks to actually get back to him about it in regards to taking on the goal, the job itself, I guess. Um, and then going to districts, they had a lot of local boys who were 50 games in. Um, they'd already built their culture and their relationships with each other and such a welcoming group of players. So, again, nothing but positives for both. But, yeah, it's um, given me the experience that I needed, I guess, to develop my coaching and what I seem to think will build a successful club. Um, and it's not just about building success overnight. It's how you can sustain it um, and putting the foundations in place, which I'm hoping we've been able to achieve. Yeah. Uh, really interesting like so in my experience of coaching as a fitness coach i've been you know i've done five seasons between wanderers and palmerston um under paul motlop and dean rioli and uh what just hearing what you were saying in fact dean's had an episode on this podcast which was all about the art of communication and coaching um yep. so interesting you bring up communication with in regards to coaching but it was a similar so in terms of his coaching style 
Dean wouldn't do a lot, for example, in training. It was all the assistants that were doing stuff. So I would take the warm-ups. I would take the fitness stuff. There was uh, Bruce Jarman was at Palmerston. Um, he was like a midfield forward coach. You had Stephen Coops, who was a backline coach. And between the three of us, we pretty much ran all of training, particularly on a Tuesday. And then on a Thursday, we would take it. And then sort of towards the end, the second half of that Thursday session, Dean would come in and do some like strategy type stuff. Um, so it sounds kind of similar to what you're talking about. The other thing too was I noticed a big difference between leaving Palmerston and going to Wanderers where you've got those players that have played together for so long, you know, like 50 plus, 100 plus games together. And that group at Wanderers, that leadership group, there was a, a group of six that was the formal leadership group, but there was leaders in every line on the field. And it was, it was one of the most efficient kind of processes I've ever seen in terms of a team because everyone just knew their role. Everyone knew where they were at in this whole ecosystem of this team or this club. And uh, like, it was incredible to be a part of and, you know, made two grand finals and lost to Saints both times, two years in a row. This is the year after Andrew Hodges coached them to a premiership. So it was a firing side. Um, but it sounds very similar kind of to what you're talking about with that experience going to districts, for example. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, the leadership on field is massive. Um, I guess on field and off field, it's the same group of players that have to be driving your standards off the field. Um, I think COVID helped massively um, in regards to the personnel you have up here that have come from state league, they've come from high standards of football down south, and they were able to, I guess, show our local boys up here what you need to do. Um, and then our local boys have been able to continue on and drive that um, themselves. So they've got a reminder every now and again about, are you doing the right thing? Is that the best decision to be doing that and whatever else? But they're the big driving focus. Um, and in terms of like building the culture as well, it's none of our boys are getting paid at, at the footy club. So it's you've got to have an environment where they want to be there. Um, probably go a little bit hard off the field in terms of celebrations and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, if we don't, you know, celebrate success together, what are they up here for? Um, what are they trying to achieve? So it's massive for us that if it's not the same players that are coming back, well, then it's mates of players that have been here, um, which tells me that the boys that have been here have thoroughly enjoyed their time. Um, so it's... It's really big that we focus on this culture and that the players are driving that themselves rather than coming from the top down, um, which is, yeah, what we've really been trying to aim to achieve, I guess, over the past few years. Yeah. Did you do anything specifically in terms of building culture and leadership within the club or has it just kind of happened with those players you brought in? Um, not really anything specific. Um Obviously, I've got an understanding of what I want and who to target in regards to who's going to be a leader, who who we can get around and support. Um, but at the same time, there have been conversations off the field. Um, what is it? I reckon my first year of coaching, our experienced players, very good players, and will lead by the front by their actions, but they they're shy, that I won't talk, they won't communicate and all that sort of stuff. So no formal coaching to that, 
but there's been a few pushes here and there. It'll be a message. Can you just do this? Can you um, ask the group to do that and all that sort of stuff? Um, just in the background that I'm driving behind the scenes, so a message would pop up in the group chat and it's not coming from me. It's coming from a player who's asking them to do something a bit more or whatever it is. So, yeah, no formal coaching about that, but there's some kind little reminders behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> so how many years at Waratahs when you came on as a head coach before winning the premiership and what were those years like? So this is, I'm going into my sixth year now. So we won the premiership in my fifth year. The first year... So I took over from Michael McLean, Magic, and he had um, they'd finished just outside of the finals and looked like they had a really good group going into it. Um, so I thought the opportunity was going to be pretty exciting, I guess. My first year of coaching, I think really three, well, the top three in the BNF didn't come back from the year before. And I was like, oh, this is going to be challenging. Um, but we were lucky enough to get a few recruits that were pretty handy as well. I think we lost to districts to get into the grand final. Um, so we've made finals for the first time in a number of years, lost to districts to get into the grand final. And we thought, and that was with a really young squad. So we thought the following year, it was just going to continue on. Um, Pre-season, start of the season, we lost six of our local like live-in players um, who were very good players to either knee reconstructions, ankle reconstructions and shoulder reconstructions. At the time, it was week by week, and you're going, oh, we can cover this, we can cover this, we can cover it. And you look back over time, and you go, that's six players that any club would struggle with. Um, so, unfortunately, we didn't play finals. I think we were a game out of finals. Um, didn't play finals that year. And then the next three years, I think, what was it? We lost to St Mary's to get into a grand final. Then we lost one, and then we've won one. So, it's been... Been challenging, 100% is challenging. Coaching is always going to be challenging for everyone, but at the same time, the more challenging it is, the more rewarding it is too. Yeah, exactly. So so why Waratahs when you made that decision, winning the premiership as an assistant coach at Districts, was it just that that position came up? Were you specifically <laughs> wanting Waratahs? No, it was potluck. Someone from uh, Trevor Oliver from the footy club reached out to me and it was just timing. I was like, he's got me right at the right time. So... A couple others from the club had reached out in previous years and I'm like, nah, not happening, not happening. And then, yeah, he's just nailed me right at the right time going, I want a premiership medal and now's the opportunity, I guess. Um, and at the time, it wasn't like you're always going to win one. It was, there was an opportunity, um, which I, yeah, I took with two hands, fortunately. So if my memory is correct, that two years ago that you lost was to St Mary's? Yeah, correct. Yeah, Which was actually Chopper's first coaching head coaching premiership so he yep. was on the podcast last episode um yep. and was quite happy about winning that what was it like for you losing that grand final um how did you lose it is where I, of course i don't want you to say oh it sucked it felt bad of course you're going to say that but like how did you lose it so i think st mary's had lost two in a row as well both to nycliffe before we played them and they won um and at the time, you don't see it, but the footy club hadn't been in the grand final for a long time. They hadn't won a premiership. Well, I think it was 22 years at the time. Um, we had the week off, which didn't help. So we won the first final, had a week off to go into the grand final. And a lot of our players had never been in that situation before. Um, so when you talk experience, you've got to lose one to win one. At the time, no way, let's just go and win one type thing. 
um, the experience helps massively. Like from your pre-game stuff, your dinners on a Thursday night and all that sort of stuff, guest speakers and just all these extra things that don't normally happen during the week for a normal game of footy. And we've gone all out and done the works. Um, so this next year of nah, shut up shop, we're just going as per normal week in, week out. There's none of these extra activities. And I know the footy club, like it's commercial. You've got to be able to build it up. The club's got to be able to cash in, um, run the extra stores and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's massive for not just the playing group, it's everyone that's involved. So I allowed that the first time and the second time I've gone, nah, we've just got to get a result. Like the results will speak for itself if you go in the grand final. So we started well when we lost to St. Mary's. I think we kicked the first three or four on the board. Um, and there's three or four minutes to go in the first quarter and the St. Mary's pressure just turned the footy over on our half forward. I reckon everyone was pushed up because the game was played predominantly on our terms at the time. Um, they'll put a lot of pressure on, turn the footy over, run down and kick the goal. And that there just changed momentum, I think. If we go into quarter time, three or four goals up, they haven't scored, everything's good. Um, bit of pressure and I always talk about defence winning matches as well. Um, they brought that with the first of the last five minutes of that quarter and just changed that momentum. Um, so we go in quarter time, still ahead, but momentum's slowly turning. I think from there, their experience sort of just got the better of us as well. Um, there's some crucial moments, crucial one-on-one -on -one contests, a um, little bit of ill-discipline from us. I think we give away four or five fifties or down the ground free kicks, which this season just gone, I've focused on it massively. It's like you cannot afford to do that because it just changes momentum. Like it's hard enough to win a game without giving away fifties, let alone doing that. So yeah, there's, experience it comes down to the experience we learned from it and um i think this year districts at the front with three or four minutes to go again and i think the heartache from losing the year before the boys just responded um luckily <laughs> i think we kicked three goals in the last three minutes of the game which put the margin out there so yeah it was a really exciting game to watch. I was actually watching it on a phone at dinner with Nathan Brown from Nightcliff, actually. Yeah. And um, we were both cheering for Waratahs. And uh, those three goals, tell me, what were those last five minutes? Actually, no, go back to the five minutes before that. The 10 minutes to go to five minutes to go part. Before you kicked those goals, what was it like for you in the coach's box? So... They were coming at us. Like we put it again, we'd put a bit of a margin on them, um, but they had a lot of the play the second and third quarter. Um, they just weren't able to capitalise in the scoreboard. Um, so I knew it, the last quarter was definitely going to be a challenge. Um, halfway through the last quarter, it's hectic, so noisy, couldn't hear a thing. I ended up leaving the coach's box to get down on the field and actually make changes from there because people on the coach's box downstairs, they couldn't hear anything. There's so much happening. There's like stuff this, I've actually got to get down and make the change myself to make sure that they actually happen. Um, so I got to ride about on field pretty much. Um, bit of a yo-yo up and down. It was um, pretty electric, I guess. Um, seeing them hit the front. So Sam Dunstan who played at Waratahs the year before, he's kicked the goal to put them in front. 
and I've just gone, oh, not you, please, not you. <laughs> um, and not again. Yeah, so I've gone, there's not much time left on the clock. If we're ever going to do it, we've got to win the next clearance. And I reckon the players knew that. So Eddie Morris has got plenty of experience. Robbie Turnbull was part of the heartbreak the year before. He had three or four efforts in the very next clearance. Um, District had their hands on the ball like they were about to break. Um, there were three or four massive efforts from Robbie that ended up winning the footy for us and Eddie's on the outside. Um, and all the numbers were down the line. And I've gone, well, oh, this is just going to be a contest. We're going to have to be lucky here. And Eddie's pulled the ball back towards the corridor and there was a one-on-one contest between Tommy Ben Willis and his defender, um, in which Tommy's taken the mark, obviously, and, yeah, went back, kicked the goal. And then the last two goals, really rewarding for the footy club, seeing Brody Carroll kick one and A. Bankers, so two lads who have been involved forever and a day, um, just getting their rewards, I guess. I've got chills hearing that. that. And it sounds like you're explaining that like it's clear as day in your yeah, mind. Yeah, it is. It's still clear as day. Um, obviously, it's not that long ago. Uh, at some stage, I've got to move on because we've got another season just six weeks away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so no, how did... How- I was going yeah. to say, it's just really pleasing for the boys who were involved again. Like In the off-season after losing to St Mary's, our massive focus was on retention. So I think we got 70% of the boys back um, and had that same group, had a few others, um, which helped out massively. Yeah, we probably kind of answered. I was going to ask, how did you win the grand final this year? Like, What did you do going into that grand final? Um, yeah, there was a massive different... focus on retention, um, getting that same group back. So... And it comes back to how we lost it, the experience, how we won it. It was probably down to our experience. Um, that, the heartbreak the year before, that's driven them all season. I know come back from Christmas, we were meant to have played Tiwi. They, I can't remember what the reasons were, but they didn't play, so we had a bye. Then we had our normal bye, and then there was a rep game bye. So we had three games off post-Christmas. Um, and some of the comments from our boys, Robbie Turnbull's a um, personal trainer as well. Um, we've had a really strong running program. We've said straight away, like, you boys are fresh. You're not playing games of footy. We have to have solid running blocks in there. And potentially we were going to lose a couple of games. We weren't going to drop out of the top three. Um, if we were to lose a few games, so be it. If it meant that we were fitter in the in the long run, so... I think a couple of the lads have mentioned that like our running blocks were harder than some of the VFL pre-seasons that they had done as well. So um, in hindsight, you know, you get frustrated by not playing games of footy, but it's probably helped us out in the long run. Yeah. So, and how's this year looking? How's pre-season looking? Are they the same kind of running sessions? <laughs> not quite, not yet. Um, we'll get there though. We know what it takes now, so we'll definitely get to those running blocks. But at the moment, I reckon my first session as a senior coach at Waratahs, we probably had 12 to 15 players down there and probably two to three of those were Premier League level. Um, Where now we're getting 25 to 30 every session from day one pretty much and six to 10 of those are Premier League players. So the quality of sessions are getting better. But again, six to 10, a lot of them still playing down south as it is as well. So you can't really smash them in the running. Um, You've still got to, they've gone into finals last weekend, this weekend. Um, so I'm still trying to manage that workload as well as trying to get some some Ks into them, I guess. And what's retention looking like this season? Not too bad. Um, early on, I thought we were going to struggle a bit, but no, there's been a, a few commitments in the last couple of weeks. 
And I think the heartache of losing one and the joys of winning one, players were just like, yes, I'm done, I'm done. We've done what we needed. And now it's getting closer again. It's like, I love the Darwin lifestyle. I miss the boys. I want to get back there. You know, it's just a really good time to, to be up and down, I guess, during the footy season. You've mentioned a bit of a theme in this whole episode about uh, giving young guys an opportunity. How much emphasis do you put on that? And will you be putting that on that on that this season? Um, so the whole time I've coached, it's my theory is it's not about overnight success. It's building success and it's got to be sustainable. Um, so we've got the foundations in place. Our under 18s won the premiership um, last year. And I think over the last two years, there would have been at least 10 of those that have played Premier League football. Um, would love to have given them more game times, but it's pretty hard when you're winning games of footy as well just to, to drop somebody who's moved their life up here to come and play Premier League football just because you want to play an under 18 kid. Um, and there's a couple of things to it. There's giving kids a game who deserve it, or there's just giving kids a game because they're under 18s in Darwin. Um, and I want to challenge those boys to actually warrant me picking them. I think we ended up playing against Central Australia um, just in the off-season as well. And a few of those under-18s boys who played in the Premiership played in that game and went really, really well. So future's pretty exciting at Waratahs to have those kids coming through. You know, you've got the success that you've wanted now. They're around good players who have got experience down south. Um, the standards are improving. So it's up to this group coming through now to continue to drive that as well. Mm, yeah. Ryan, <laughs> I just want to acknowledge you for all the work that you've been doing with coaching. Um, congratulate you on your six, recent success as the reigning NTFL Men's Premier League coach. Um, and thank you for coming on the Mind Your Body Show. Before Thanks, we Jake. go... I appreciate it. <laughs> I have got... I've been taking some notes as you've been talking. I've got this 10 and 10 here where, as you have been talking, I've been writing. I would love to get your first thought that comes to mind when I say each of these. You ready to go? Mm, we'll give it a crack for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, before I do, I should point out, I've noticed, you know, being friends on Facebook, that your wife has done a lot of work um, behind the scenes. Is there anything that you would like to say? Well, that's actually one thing we haven't spoken about this whole time through, even kids playing footy, all that sort of stuff. Family support is massive and it's been highly instrumental in allowing me to do what I love doing. Um, so that's from my parents and my siblings and family that way, but then Lara as well being my wife and my two boys. Um, she's taken on the team manager role the last couple of years. Um, she absolutely loves it and we've had conversations about if I wasn't coaching, what would we be doing? And like the footy clubs become family. So is, there's that, um, the support, yeah, like like I said from Lara, washing Guernseys, getting the water bottles and I think there's been comments from others in the background going, oh, does she ever stop? And it's like, not at all. And she's the same at home too. So I think we all know that as well. So no, it's been massive from the support I get from all of my family to allow me to do what I want is, yeah, it's been absolutely instrumental in, um, yeah, achieving, I guess, my lifelong dream of which was an NTFL premiership in the end. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a theme there that anyone who achieves any success, there's a whole bunch of people in the background, you know, particularly something like a wife. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number one, Newcastle and Aventus. Newcastle. <laughs> number two, Sanderson, primary and middle, uh, primary and high school, first thing that comes to mind when you hear that. 
Mates. Number three, sport as a child. Yeah, this is a tough one. Sports as a child. Um, again, it's mateship, I guess. Number four, injuries. <laughs> Riddled. <laughs> Number five, anti-rep footy. Loved it. Number six, getting drafted to Melbourne Demons. Experience of a lifetime. Number seven, living out of home for the first time. Memories. <laughs> uh, number eight, the art of oh, so being an assistant coach as a young man. Daunting. Number nine, on-field leadership. Um, what's the word for it? Underrated. Mm, I like that. And number 10 is a generic question which I ask everybody, and that is like a time machine question. If you could go forward in time or back in time, which would you go to and why, knowing that you can come back to now if you choose to? So you can travel to any point in time. You can do whatever you want. Where would you go to and why? I'd go back in time. Um, knowing what I do now, my mentality towards recovery and getting your body right and all that sort of stuff will have changed. Ryan, thank you so much for your time today on the Mind Your Body Show. No worries. Thanks, Jacob. What's the most overlooked part of running but the most important? Your mechanics. My new course, Running Mechanics 101, is a nine-module course which will teach you how to run more efficiently and effectively. For free, instant access, simply head on over to jacobandre.com.